Welcome to the Amazing Race Canada 3 preview episode of the UR Team Number podcast. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me is one Canadian who, as far as we know, hasn't graced the cover of any romance novels, Logan Saunders. Afternoon by three minutes. You can tweet us using the hashtag Yattencast, as always, or email us at yattencast at gmail.com. And it's a supersized season, both for the teams and for us. Fifteen podcasts? You're, cra- you're crazy, Michael. I know, and that may go up, depending on where the season goes. You never know. You never know. If we could do like we could be like season two and have a mid season recap slash reunion with, with well, just us two, so it won't really be much of a reunion. And then we could uh you know, t- towards the end of the season do another recap and then invite James Duthie on and then he can put our last names on the back of jerseys of a struggling sporting franchise. Could we Get the uh, harpies from the social on, please. I miss them from season one. Miss? I don't know if miss is the is the right word. They add something. Are you showing that John Montgomery is actually a much better host? <laughs> I we will give the the show the people from the social credit though uh, that they, unlike James Duffy, would not have ignored skateboarding lesbians as Duffy did. Very true. The people's favourites, I think you'll find. Yes. The Fuel Your Favourite Team poll was uh, rigged in Natalie and Megan's favour. Laura and Jackie were actually second. Yeah, Laura and Jackie were supposed to have a 9.0 rating, but I guess I guess somebody just tampered with the results and dropped them down a few spots. Yeah, they dropped them to 7.8. Too much skateboarding. You're already with the Pokemon jokes. Oh, I have many jokes over the next 15 episodes, Logan. Yeah, we've got 12 teams to get through, and we're only gonna, we're barely going to have enough time to get through six of them today. And the first one is, in a twist, the team that you've met. Yes, this, well, one of the, one of the two I met. This is pretty surreal, actually, because the team we're talking about first is Max and Elias. And Elias, uh, for those of you not from Canada... And don't watch the UFC at all. Uh, he was originally a contestant on the only season ever of the Ultimate Fighter Canada. Well, the Ultimate Fighter Nations Canada versus Australia, where really it was just Ultimate Fighter Canada since Australia had zero impact or real presence during the season other than losing fight after fight after fight. But Elias was the winner of that, and he was just a complete goofball on camera, very likable guy. And all of the other uh, fighters made fun of how handsome he was because Elias has graced the cover of romance novels and he's worked as a model and an actor before he uh, switched into MMA. And after he won The Ultimate Fighter, he's had a really good run so far in the UFC. Probably one of the, pro- could be one of the best Canadian UFC fighters on the roster right now. And last June, there was a fan event held in Kelowna, B.C., here, not far from where I live. My brother and I went to that fan event in Kelowna for the day. It was just all they had was a parking lot, and there's about 50 to 100 guys or so who were all MMA uh, junkies that were all hanging out there. Way better bodies than I have, for sure. They they, they really train. You know, nobody's going to pick a fight with anybody there, that's for sure. You, you didn't need any uh, bodyguards to hire. He was one of the main uh, UFC guests that was going to be hanging out there for the day. He did a whole UFC tutorial and a bunch of other crap. So this is really the first time 
of any amazing race season where I've personally seen a contestant in person before they were featured on the amazing race. So it's a pretty cool moment. Which races have you seen after they've been cast? Um, that is uh, probably zero as well. So this makes it double special. <laughs> so as Logan says, he has graced the covers of 10 romance novels, according to CTV. And he's an MMA fighter. She's a retail manager, both from uh, Ontario. And they've been together for five months. Yeah, so... and But they've already given themselves a, a celebrity relationship uh, portmanteau name. Is, is that what it's called? Yeah, uh, called Malias. Max and Elias combined, in case you can figure that out. I think Elias is hogging most of that name since he's occupying five out of the six letters in that portmanteau. But deservedly so. Well, she enjoys horseback riding whilst also keeping his uh, ego in check. Yeah, the, they definitely balance each other out. I did appreciate in their 10-second Chevrolet video that they used all 10 seconds to make fun of Brangelina. And um, the team that they most associate with is Body Break. Are they because they love 90s workout gear. Yeah, either that or they're going to swear at another team. Yeah, keep that an F off. Immortalized words in the Amazing Race can the universe. Much as Joanne does not want them to be. Uh, Joanne will come around one day, but yeah, Elias is going to be a Elias is going to be a real goofball, and I think he may even top, maybe or at least match Suki and Jinder for just top Amazing Race characters because strong Elias. I know, I know, strong words. I'm I'm saying expectations high, but Elias has set high expectations of himself all his life, and look where he is today. But uh. Just especially at the fan event too, I do feel the need to point out that Elias did start a water balloon fight with Sarah Kaufman and a few kids in the parking lot, and one of the eight-year-olds snuck up behind him and just absolutely soaked him with a water balloon. And then Elias would do Ryu from Street Fighter impressions during the UFC demonstration. So he's just as fun and and uh, hilarious as he is on TV as he is in real life. So I think. So I think he's going to be a really good character. You have to bear in mind, we didn't spot Suki and Jinder's potential in the preview last year. It took until, well, the start line for us to notice how awesome they were. So it's massive words to say that he could live up to the legend of the Atwals. I do fear, though, that if Max and Elias make it a long ways into the race, that he could very well be made fun of for being a bit phony for television. Because he's just too, he's that that charming of a guy where people may not think that that's real. Do you think Max is going to have one of the heaviest backpacks on the Amazing Race? Because she's packing two flat irons in her backpack. How many flat irons does she think she's going to need? I don't know, but I really hope that there's like a head shaving task. And if she does go through with that, then she can just ditch the two flat irons. I am 100% expecting either a head shave or a tattoo this year. Yes. They've completely... The three fast-forwards we've heard about have been the uh, police car simulator, which was way, way too difficult and unaired. We had the um, searching round for all the um, the signs with the Lenin address. And um, <laughs> we had the amazing, maybe my favourite fast-forward they've ever done internationally, the uh, nudity desk, the life drawing. 
So I'm fully expecting a head shave this year. Mm-hmm. Especially as they're going to India. Spoilers. Did you see what Max, that one that uh, Elias' pet peeve about Max is? Apparently Max cries on command like a baby. Yeah, her fears are needles and divorce. She a divorcee? She, she's two years older than Elias. She's 28. She could very well be divorced uh, by now. And he sweats like a monkey and his fears are failure and heights. I wonder if how many times they will be censored on the show because they do say that they do, they do have a love of the swears. Yeah, they're described as a team most likely to give network censors a heart attack with their love of the swears, which automatically makes me love them. And they also love being in sugar comas and Chinese food, which is a very random combination. Yeah. And noble intentions for the money. He wants to invest it. She wants to get a puppy in a Chanel purse. Yeah, very noble. It reminds me of the Amazing Race 21, where they had the double your money prize, where whoever won the first leg then had a chance to win $2 million at the, at the end of the race if they, uh, if they won. And the executive producer of the American version of Amazing Race, that Elise Doganiri, or however you pronounce her last name, she said that she said it would provide a great opportunity for whoever won the two million dollars to do something noble, like donate a huge chunk of the money to cancer research or something like that. So I really wish Max and Elias were on that season and won the two million dollars and just you know completely pimped up, pimp out their ride, you know by by chihuahuas and dogs and crazy purses and Louis Vuittons and and just go through the $2 million in like two months flat. And a final quote from Max and uh, Elias. Winning dirty, always winning dirty in the end. A winner's a winner. Let's be honest, it's a game. The ends justify the means. The only time we would seem to play fair is if it worked to our advantage. They definitely have the right mindset. I mean, you got to think that Elias is probably the most competitive person they've ever cast for the Amazing Race. You mean Trina and Tennille weren't competitive? Uh, the twins? I mean, I would put the twi- the twins in my top five, but I think they may be just a step below Elias. Diodoro. Where do, you, where do you have Max and Elias ranked, by the way? I like them. They are one of my favorite teams. Do you think they'll go far? Yeah, I think they will do pretty well. I'd love to see them have to face a head shave in India, because I do suspect that's coming. I'm not sure they can win, but I think they'll do pretty well. I hope so too. I've got, I'm, of course, I'm, this is probably the most biased I've ever been about an amazing race team in the 35 plus seasons I've seen, but I think they'll make top three as well, just based on the rest of the competition in the field. And my hopes. <laughs> and now the most boring races in the cast Dana and Amanda who are cut friends from Newfoundland and Labrador and they met when they were 15 and competing in rugby and cheerleading against each other I think they're more victims of production because it seems like production more than anybody is really trying to push the whole young female cop thing. Like, they're making... Because like produ- producers always choose the clothing you're going to wear for the race. Most most of the time, anyway. That goes with Survivor Big Brother. They choose your wardrobe because they want you to feel a certain archetype. Well, as well as that, they want you to have the same colour clothing, so it's really easy for the audience to tell who, you, who your teammate is. Yeah, it's not like the earlier seasons where everybody could just wear whatever the hell they wanted. 
But with Dana and Amanda, I just feel like production, they picked the blue because apparently it's that's the cop color. And just really, that's all that's listed in their bio is just them being police officers and being from the Atlantic Canada. So my opinion is that there's probably way more to Dana and Amanda that producers are, are uh, allowing us to see. But within the confines of Amazing Race Canada, uh, production just doesn't want to let them have a personality. Also, did they specifically go out to find someone who looks identical to Spooner? Because Dana <laughs> is a double. Yes. I can I can see that. I could not believe it when I saw their cast photo. I was like, have they cast Spooner again? Because she is an absolute spitting image. And it's kind of weird. And obviously they compare themselves to the Olympians because, you know, young, fit female team are always going to compare themselves to the Olympians now. All they need is a broken hand. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope Amanda doesn't break her hand to fulfill the legacy. So so with comparing Dana to Spooner, are you saying, Michael, that she may or may not vomit approximately 17 times by the end of a season premiere? Including on the way, or including during a skydive. Including during a skydive, yes. I'm interested to see what their high octane task is going to be in Leghorn as well, because we've had the we had the jumping from a a bridge in season one, the sort of half bungee jumping, I suppose. We had the skydive last year. They've done a high octane task both years. I'm interested to see where they're going to go, because they are staying in country for the first leg. I guess uh, with Dane and Amanda, they did say that they both practiced uh, driving a, a stick before the race. I guess people are finally learning that lesson after 14 years because I believe in Max and Elias's bio as well, they said that they learned how to drive a stick too. So everyone's everyone's learning that lesson. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lesson that needs to have been learned because as much as we love Mike and Roe, that was their one weakness. Well, with Mike and Roe, they didn't really have the opportunity to uh, drive a stick though. Also, Mike's not played me at Splatoon yet. I'm very disappointed. He's got, he's maybe you're maybe he's playing with other Amazing Race podcasters. <laughs> There's a secret podcasting Splatoon league that you have not been made aware of. Throwing shade out there. <laughs> Listen, I've kicked Logan's ass enough in the past couple of weeks. I need a challenge. <laughs> hey, I try my best at Splatoon. Thank you very much. You're very trying, Logan. But I did tweet out a couple of rather fun pictures. Where it's just my results screen. One of them last weekend was like 1,700, wasn't it? 1,700 points to my 600 points. Yes, yes, we all... <laughs> <laughs> what we need is the Unreal Tournament announcer going, Dominating! Oh. Uh, and Dana's strengths are listed as target shooting. Hashtag never give up Dana. Organisation and playing football. And her biggest fear is mice. And she hates that Amanda is forgetful. Which is really awkward, given that Amanda List's short-term memory is one of her skills. Mm-hmm. And she's apparently a perfectionist, Dana. Yeah. Um, what I am probably most choked about with their bio overall is that their walk-on song would be a song by One Republic. I like. I, yeah. I, they just, they just lost, they just lost any chance of me being a fan of them right there. One Republic. Is one of the worst things to happen to music. Not not as bad as Nickelback, but it's pretty high up there. 
I did not expect a rant from you <laughs> with regards to one from like. However, however, they do. Dana balances out, or it's either Dana or Amanda balance it out because for one of them, I'm, I can't remember who it is. Their hometown is a place called Wabush. <laughs> I can't remember which one it is either. I think it might be Amanda. <laughs> but that's just the funniest sounding name. It's like the most. If I had to come up with a list of just comedic town names that Atlanta could Atlantic Canada could get away with naming, Wabush would probably be fairly high up on the list. <laughs> they should have been nicknamed. I know. I think they're being nicknamed like Teen Young Cops or Female Cops or something like that in their bios. That would be their team hashtag, but I think they should have been nicknamed Team Wabush. <laughs> the Wabushinators. The Wabushwhackers. The big question for them is, are they goofy enough to be newfies? <laughs> how goofy is your newfie? How loose, how loose is your goose? <laughs> exactly. And their tactic quote is that we're honest girls, we're not deceitful, and we're not out to get anyone. We're not making friends, but we're not making enemies either. We're going to play the game our way. So basically, they are taking the entire strategy from the Olympians. Yeah. The thing with having law enforcement teams or, or can- Canadian hero teams, like we'll, we'll, in the next uh, podcast, we're going to be talking about a couple of athletes, I think, who really want to represent themselves well. And that's always a problem is that with a job like law enforcement or being in a sport where you're representing Team Canada, you're, you really have to preserve your image on television like because they, they, they're representing the community that they come from. So it's not going to be like, you know, a Gino and Jesse who are, you know, or a Zamboni driver where they don't really have to worry about being in the public eye or you know, just being well-respected within their own community where they can just do anything with, with these law enforcement teams. That's something where they really, they are all, they're almost using the race as a platform in a way, I guess, because they really have no other choice. Otherwise they just look bad. And then you're going to have those, you know, those casual fan idiots ranting on, on the Mason race Canada Facebook page saying, Oh, they set a bad example for cops. And then you have to be like, no, they're just ordinary, regular people. Shut your mouth. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get to a big rule of 15 level. Oh, I don't remember saying those things. <laughs> Where I believe nearly a quarter of the cast lost their jobs by the end of the season. I think it was 3 of 16. Yeah, the un- unemployment rate didn't go up because of a bad economy. It just came, it, it, it shot up because the people were speaking inappropriately on reality TV shows. Huh. Thank God we haven't got any of those awful people this season. So, with Dana and Amanda, I don't think they're going to do well. For the, for some reason, I can't put my finger on it exactly why I think this. And I don't feel like their mind is in tune with something like the challenges that will present itself on the Amazing Race. I feel like they have a different type of intelligence that's much more fitting for their role as cops, but for some reason I don't think it's going to translate too well to the Amazing Race Canada, and I do have them as being one of the first three teams eliminated from the season. Didn't actually expect that. No? No, I, I think they're going to make a reasonably deep run. I, don't, I certainly don't think they're going to win. I certainly wouldn't necessarily want them to win, because I don't think they'd be very interesting winners. But 
I would probably say at least sort of sixth, maybe fifth. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be anywhere near the level of all-female teams we've seen in the past year, like uh, Kim and Allie, who I was really gung-ho for right from the preview podcast of Amazing Race 25. I just I just don't see it with Dane and Amanda. I could be wrong after the premiere because we have, we have very little information to go by so far. But we were very accurate last season. We had a very good run last season. We did. Nabila being first boots, obviously, most obvious first boots ever. Yeah, nobody's standing out as a first boot as Charlotte Nabila. I'm not saying that about Dane and Amanda, that it's going to be like, that they're just going to be, you know, just dead in the water before the first ten minutes of the season. But with Dane and Amanda, I just, I just don't see them lasting, just based off of the bios and based off of their Canada AM interview clip that I saw online. Yeah, I'm I'm not high on them, but I I think they'll be one of those teams that sort of sneaks through towards sort of the last third of the season before going home. Do you think Mickey and Pete are high on them too? <laughs> Mickey and Pete are high on very many things, Logan. Especially thanks to their winnings. And now, a team that people expect me to hate, and I actually don't hate them as much as I probably should, Brent and Sean. Dramatic designers, hash, or hashtag dramatic designers. My, my sort of irritation at flamboyant casting is quite well documented. I'm not a big fan of that this sort of team, but I don't hate them as much as I probably should. So you're saying that they're not quite giving you maximum Joey and Megan vibes, is what you're saying? They're not giving me Joey and Megan, Frankie Grande, that sort of vibe. That's a good. That's a very good thing. But they're not. But they're not on the opposite end of the spectrum where you have a team like Oswald and Danny from Amazing Race Two, who are just who. Who I think when they were conceived upon birth for each of them, that they were just conceived of, of you know uh, a sperm and an egg, but within that, just a whole lot of awesomeness, like the most awesomeness sperm and the most awesomeness uh, egg. Yeah. Or like a Team Guido. Or a Team Guido. Very good example. Very good example. If you. For viewers listening out there, if you have not listened to our very first Amazing Race interview with Team Guido, please go to yattencast.wordpress.com or in our iTunes feed, I believe, is where our interview is with them. It is indeed on our iTunes feed, which which I will obviously link to in the descriptions, but also um, there is a short link, which is bit.ly forward slash yattencast hyphen iTunes. And it's the, uh, the very first episode that I uploaded. Mm-hmm. How special. Podcast number 53, GuidoCast. We love you, Bill Bartek. We do. <laughs> we love you, Joe, as well. Can't neglect Joe. Yeah. Um, but with Brent and Sean, I listened, I read their bios, and then I watched their Canada AM interview as well. And they actually had a really good interview. They were, I think they're going to be pretty good in confessionals. What is going to annoy me is that CTV are blatantly wanting them to be fan favorites. During the first paragraph of their bio, the words uh, charm, quick-witted, unforgettable, laid-back, down-to-earth, endearing, and fun-loving were all used. Wasn't Underdog in there somewhere as well? Underdog was also in there during uh, later in the bio. Yeah, that's the problem when... See, the thing is with teams, when we talk about who we may not like as much as we want to or dislike as, mu- as much as we should, um, you know, a lot of that is contributed by however production presents them that's that's just the bottom line it's editing is plays a huge part so if any teams are 
listening to various podcasts or reading blogs, you know, we really don't know your whole personality. We're just, we really have to try our best to read between the lines, but it's also balanced out by our frustration with however production presents you. They are going to be presented as 100% fan favorites. They are not going to win 100%. They're going to probably Ryan and rub their way to the final leg and lose, but CTV are going to try and make them win the Fuel Your Favorite Team poll. Mm. That's my prediction. But they're not even Olympians. No. Well, that's why I said they Ryan and Robert instead of Natalie and Megan. Did you see what fruits they compared themselves to? It's a very interesting kind of combination. <laughs> I did, but I can't remember which one it was because that's, that question was so stupid. Of all, know, the, uh... of all the bio questions this year, the walk-on song one was a bit whiffy. The fruit one was even weirder. I know, I think it was that Dean or Amanda said that they said... Uh, oh, Amanda said that she she's a blueberry because everybody loves blueberries, but yet blueberry is my personal favorite fruit. So that so what she said is factually incorrect, which is pretty bad for a police officer to do. But with Brent and Sean with these fruits here, this is a combination. Like this is this is line after line. So this is just I don't know if they plan this coincidence or not. But Brent said that he is a banana, and then Sean said he's a kumquat. And that was back-to-back, and I'm thinking, come on, guys. Come on, that would be a joke I would make. I I said this to Ben when their bio was released, but they are trying to push the very, very flamboyant card. Between associating themselves with Vanessa and Selena, their good luck charm being Pinot Grigio, their walk-on song would be Glamorous by Fergie, which is a song I've not heard since about 2006. Whamowis, that's how Fergie pronounces it. Whamowis. G-W-A-M-O-O-O-R-G-U-S. <laughs> this is the worst cover of Guamowis anybody will ever hear. It's Fergie tried to sing without teeth. I think Breton, <laughs> I think Breton Sean uh, should just spell out their last name one letter at a time when they're introduced on the show just so they can be like Fergie. Just be like S-W-E-E-N-E-Y Sweeney. Sweeney. Sweeney, Sweeney. Sweeney. <laughs> also with a W, just like Fergie's Glamorous. <laughs> and like seven different races in this season, Sean is scared of snakes. And Brent becomes our new Charlotte. He is scared of weird food textures. They're blatantly applicants, not um, recruits. But I just think they slightly get on my nerves. They actually had a really good casting story in the Nurkanda AM interview. I don't think this has really been written about too much as of yet. But they said when they were cast for the show that when they were going through the interviews and the phone and the phone calls over the phone, because I think they still lived at their parents at the time or something like that, and they would just sneak off to their basement to cost to talk to the casting producers over the phone and just kept it a complete secret from their parents until they knew 100% that they were going to be on the Amazing Race. So, yeah, so about five or six days before they left, they said, oh, guess what, we got cast for the Amazing Race Canada. Um, we're going to be out of, we're, we're probably going to be out of the country by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah, which is a great tactic, because how many people have been bumped off casting because they've told people, and they've blabbed it? Yeah. I mean, we very nearly had that for Amazing Race 27, and I kind of wish we did. If this were Harry Potter, 
and the uh, Deathly Hollows, Brent and Sean would definitely work as the secret keepers at a grim old place. I solemnly swear that they're up to no good. <laughs> That's the Marauder map. So where do you have Brent and Sean placing? Um, it depends because Sean said he packed, he even packed his shower curtain in his backpack, so he said it's super heavy. Yeah. So if he comes to his senses and lines up the backpack, because if you have a really heavy backpack, that can hold you really far back on the race. Like I know Heather and Eve in Amazing Race Three were suffering from back problems in their four rounds of play, and look where that got them. But with Brent and Sean, if they, you know, if they, I think they'll be quick learners on the race. And I do see them finishing somewhere between 4th and 6th place. In the words of Tommy Hilfiger from the short-lived reality show The Cut, um, I think at the end of the race, we will be quoting Tommy Hilfiger and say that they just didn't make The Cut. I think that, I hope that they're going to defy my expectations, but I'm not 100%. I think they're probably going to get saved by a couple of non-eliminations like Ryan and Rob did and sort of squeak their way into the final three. Will we be referring to them as the Beasts of the East, or or is that title only going to be reserved for Bam Bam Bigelow? No, they're going to be referred to as Team BS. Ooh. Sass. Oh, Michael, that's that's them fighting words, Michael. They're going to send your car careening down a hillside as you watch it go down. And onto another potential fan-favorite team. Hamilton and Michaelia. The Canadian version of Nick and Star, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. They met in Military Cadets six years ago, became best friends, and are now in a relationship. And Hamilton has been transitioning from male to female for four years. I think we should start off uh, <laughs> talking about Hamilton Michaela, or Michaela by saying... Michaelia. You know, uh, no, it's it's Michaela. I'm pretty sure it's the same pronunciation as Michaela from Survivor South Pacific. I think the there's going to be a pretty big fu to the BB17 producers because Hamilton was technically the first transgendered contestant to be on a to be filming on a reality show in North America, but Audrey Middleton from BB17 is going to earn that distinction because BB17 airs live. And it just started in the past week, so Audrey's going to get all the credit for being the first transgendered contestant to be featured on a reality show in North America. And Hamilton's just going to have to settle for the silver medal, as John Montgomery would say. The one thing in their bio that sort of stood out to me was the fact that they've already traveled to 13 European countries together. Yeah, they're wise beyond their years by far. They probably have more travel experience than teams that have raced in the past that are in their 30s or their 40s. I'm pretty sure they've traveled to more European countries than I have. 13, really? Don't you just get on a train and just go in a circle and then by the end of 24 hours you, you know, you've knocked out a couple dozen countries? Depends where you are. With both of them being 19, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that a record for... Smallest combined age and Amazing Race history, just to slightly outdo Claire and Michelle from Amazing Race Asia Season 4? Yep, they are 100% the youngest average team or average age of any team ever. 38. That's, you know, that's about 30 years, that's about 80 years younger than Bill and Kathy from Amazing Race 19. And I guess Hamilton did a similar proposal to Alain. By proposing at the Eiffel Tower. Yep, he proposed under the Eiffel Tower, 
and the te- one of the teams that they most associate with is Alan and Andre because they pick up but love each other. And she also said yes. Yeah, and we should note that during the proposal under the Eiffel Tower, um, several stories above in the Eiffel Tower, uh, Lenny was still looking for the Octi Triumph. Lenny, <laughs> I bet you've missed them, haven't you? Yes, I have. I mean, it's been a long 15 years. <laughs> um, but with Michaela, I think she might be a bookworm because she has a dog named Shiloh. And if you, in the Canadian education system, because I'm only four years older than them, I'm 23, going on 24. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, we had to read a book called Shiloh. And I think, I think in a, there's, it's like a three book series, I think. And, it's all about an abused dog, essentially. So, yeah, so I think she may have intentionally named the dog after a book. Maybe they're just massive fans of Brad and Angelia. Since they do have a child called Shiloh. How you, I know know that. The, you know the names of celebrities' kids? Yeah, having said that, I have no idea how I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fountain All of I know is, like, is that somebody, I think it's... Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow or somebody has a kid named Apple. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris uh, Chris Martin. Yeah, I think uh, Jill and uh, Thomas from the Amazing Race 17 would probably name Apple as well. He took kid naming 301 in university. How are you doing on uh, Amazing Race 17? Start of interest. Uh, I'm about seven or eight minutes into the tenth episode. <laughs> the infamous Hong Kong episode. <laughs> yes. I, I did watch the ending out of curiosity. I think the I think a favorite screen cap of mine is going to be Nick Lane in the boat while Vicky still searches for the for the right uh, shipping number. The Hong Kong episode is one very good reason that Amazing Race Seventeen is by far the best recent season. It's just oh, it's glorious, and and the fact that Nick and Vicky are basically an afterthought in the final four episode in uh, in South Korea. It's just even funnier. The, the fact that it sort of gets to the pit stop and then you go, oh yeah, Nick and Vicky were also in this, weren't they? They had a speed bump. Oh yeah, they had to clean the tank. Which is a badass yeah. speed bump, can I point out? But we saw nothing of it. That's funny. Uh, so Hamilton and Michaela both work in the service industry. One of many teams that has euphemistic job titles, but apparently uh, he works for Timmy's, Tim Hortons, which instantly makes me love them. Yeah. And uh, his biggest fear is heights, and she interrupts him all the time. She fears ticks. Yes, her, her fear is ticks. I'm not sure whether it's on the insects or on a piece of paper. I think uh, she may fear ticks because she didn't really like 90s cartoons all that much. And just does, wasn't a big fan of that source of comedy and stays very far away from the world's most comfortable chair. I have no idea what you're referencing. The Tick. <laughs> oh, Alright, never seen it. You've never seen The Tick? You've never played The Tick for Super Nintendo? So this reference that I've been planning for the past two weeks fell completely flat. Yep. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> oh my god. He referenced The Tick. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And they're from a place called Centerville, which uh, we don't know if it's located dead center of Nova Scotia, but for the purposes of this podcast and the fact that neither of us live anywhere close to Atlantic Canada, 
Um, let's just say it is. To be fair, there's probably not much in it as to who lives closer. Yeah, that is true. You're pro- you're probably closer, but only just. Barely, yeah. Here in the west, being a West Coast mother Canucker that I am. And apparently Hamilton and Michaelia will play the game fair. That's how they roll. That's how they roll. Like a like a cinnamon roll at Tim Hortons. One of their many pastries that uh, they can let us endorse and give me free stuff, please. Yeah, are you just after the after the race is over? Are you going to fly back to Canada and you're just going to go to Centerville, Nova Scotia, and find Hamilton and be like, "Hey, you know, give give me some free Timmies." You know how much in, um, how much I've endorsed your guys' products over the past two years? Yeah, Logan knows for a fact that I love Tim Hortons. When I've been to Canada both times, I've loved Tim Hortons. In fact, I have a Tim Hortons mug downstairs. Because they're awesome. And it's what made me very happy when Second Cup came to the UK last year. Because <laughs> I could actually get Canadian hot chocolate again. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. <laughs> so, what are your predictions for Hamilton and Michaela? Yeah, I think they'll be right up there with Max and Elias in the top three. I think this is going to be a pretty fun team to watch. And because of the trailblazing nature that they are for uh, reality television. Yeah, I, I think they will rival Brent and Sean as being one of the favorite teams, the fan favorites. I think they might be the recipients of the depressing Final Four elimination. Because both seasons, a fan favorite team has gone out in fourth place, and both times it's been horrendously depressing. And I think they may be the recipients of it. I can see that. They just choke under the pressure, the anticipation, and the panicky nature of youth. Or get an absolutely bull task at the end, like Jet and Dave did. Maybe they'll be in the final three with like Nick and Sabrina and Gino and Jesse, and it's going to be like Italian Canadian trivia. As the final task, and they're just going to be completely screwed. Oh god, I hope Nick and Sabrina beat uh, Gino and Jesse. (laughs) (laughs) Just just as a spoiler for in about ten minutes' time, Gino and Jesse are 100% my punching bag this season. They have the worst bio I have ever seen. And we'll get one step closer to that, because speak of one of those Italian-Canadian devils, I'm also an Italian-Canadian, not quite as much as them, though, but we're onwards. We're onwards to Nick and Sabrina. We are. And they are a newly dating team, only dating for a year. He's a former professional footballer and goalkeeping coach, and the only racer on this season that I know has a Wikipedia. And they're both from Quebec. Quebecois. Yes, they are our traditional Quebecois team who will be, no doubt, very angry to each other at some point. Or just angry with James Duffy. And James Duffy has to try and control a, an ongoing conflict. I suspect they will be very good TV. Yes. Because not only is the one contestant named Sabrina, but they also compare themselves to... They say they're like the Tims and Nikki and Pete. And oddly enough, they're both winners. So, coincidence or not, that's really working in their favor. That is the single greatest way to answer that question. Who are you like? Every winner of this franchise before. <laughs> yeah, somebody on the Amazing Race 27 should have been like, I'm like Robin Brennan, Chris and Alex, Flo and Zach, uh, uh, Riken and Ship. Yeah, Riken and DK, sorry. That's his real name. Uh, Freddie and Kendra. 
that's unfortunate. And then just keep going on the list. And then some new fan to the Amazing Race is reading their bio, and they're like, oh my god, this is one gigantic spoiler for all 26 seasons. Yes, which TV you like? We're like the Linz family. <laughs> We're like the Linz family. <laughs> yes, we, we fart in Amish carts, and we get into fights with super religious families. And they say, despite the fact that they've only dated for a year, they already know they're getting married. So they're blatantly going to be a proposal on the race. Well, that's the that's what Quebecois teams do. They have you know, just grand proposals on TV. But because Sabrina's last name is Mercury, when Nick proposes to her, instead of Sabrina saying yes, uh, she's going to be like, I said, uh, I will rock you. That, that, that was a queen joke, by the way. Sabrina's going to be uh, the queen of this season. They will rock us. They will rock the viewers. And they will not bite the dust. They will not bite the only the good jokes die young Logan. So and there's going to be a Zanzibar leg next season just in their honour. Anyway, their one massive sort of tick mark for me is that they both grew up speaking four languages. English, French, Italian and Spanish. I'm surprised they don't speak German. Yeah, which will serve them very, very well. I mean, the English and French are sort of logical because, you know, Canada. Italian is obviously pretty logical from them being Italian-Canadian. But mm-hmm. the Spanish will... Serve them very well. It's pretty much the second most widely spoken language I think it's ever taken English now. Yeah. And also it will come in very handy for them pretty early in the race, given we have two Spanish-speaking countries on this race. I think Donald Trump failed his job if to the fact that Spanish has now surpassed English as a more spoken language. Donald Trump must be just fuming right now. One of the things that they enjoy doing is arguing with each other, my sort of people. It's a, it, I can, as somebody of an great Italian ancestry, I can vouch for the fact that this is a great pastime. As someone whose family ran from the mafia. And they also say in their bio that they would make accessible healthcare and education for everyone, if they ruled the world. Mm-hmm. That's a very, that's a very Miss America type answer. Yeah, given that li- Nick's LinkedIn uh, says that he's a recruiter for, the, for Canada's Liberal Party, that doesn't surprise me. Hmm. So he does have political, definitely political leanings that could clash with other teams on the race, especially especially given this cast, because with the fact that we have athletes and law enforcement, those are, I mean, that's not to say all of them, but those are typically very strong-willed, thick-headed people who may not have flexible opinions about things, because that's just, that's just the way you're raised in, that, in, those, in those environments, so... I could see Nick getting into uh, getting into ar- heated arguments with other teams over his own strong political beliefs and the fact that he t- he probably does have a very that, that very Italian mindset in terms of just his personal beliefs being fiery, being fiery but not watery because both of them have a, are just terrified, petrified. Petrified is the word they used in their Canada AM interview to describe their relationship with water, which is surprising because they're from Italy. You're surrounded by water, pretty much. Yeah, and also, where does Nick want to go more than anywhere else? Somewhere with a coastline. Yeah. And his pet peeve is her driving, and her pet peeve is his road rage. That's a lovely combination. There's, that is not going to end well. I cannot wait for a self-driving like with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> And they have literally the same strengths, patience, loyalty, and strategy. 
just to drive home uh, Nick's Italian-Canadian roots just a bit more, he compares himself to that if he was cast for any sort of acting role, he would be like 1970s Al Pacino, just in case he couldn't grasp the the Italian-Canadian roots. Mamma mia. <laughs> what a mistake and a mica. <laughs> One day I'll break out my Marlon Brando impression on this podcast. Maybe after he uses the U-turn or something, or or after Nick, uh, or not not he as in Marlon Brando, but he as in Nick uh, orchestrating some sort of big uh, Mason Race Canada alliance. Big twist announcement during the season. Marlon Brando is going to be taking over one of the team's places. I mean, make Monty an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> Their strategy is, we're real competitors, we're honest and we want to be honest. We're not here to make friends, but we're not here to be rude either. I guess, Nick, what he wants to bring onto the race, and I think Gino and Jesse said this as well, for some reason the two Italian-Canadian teams thought of this, but the item they most want to bring is a smartphone, and it has to come with endless roaming. Yeah, a smartphone didn't serve a former footballing team in a major race Philippines very well. Because they are the only team that I know of that got a 24-hour penalty for contacting uh, their mother. (laughs) They rang their mother to say, oh my god, the Amazing Race is awesome. Got a 24-hour penalty for it. (laughs) That's hilarious. That actually happened? Yeah, Anton and Ahmad. Philippines won. That's a very Mark Wahlberg thing. Maybe Mark Mark Wahlberg uh, went by and said, hey, call your mother, say hi to them for me. They checked in, like, second place and then got bumped down to 10th place because they contacted their mother. Wow, that is... I thought, like, maybe Margie and Luke had a mother's boy thing or a mama's boy or uh, or maybe uh, Tony and Dallas, but... or Susan and Patrick, especially. But this just takes it to a whole new level. But yeah, it is hilarious that Nick wants to... that his favorite destination to travel to is, is Madagascar. You said it was because of the that he, it's, there's a coastline there, which makes no sense for his fear of water, but maybe he doesn't know enough about Madagascar, and he's just basing it entirely off of the movie franchise. He just wants to see talking lions and zebras. Yeah. He's just going to show up there and be like, there's no talking lions and zebras, there's just catacombs and we're surrounded by water. This is the worst. So, how do you rate Nick and Sabrina's chances? I went back and forth on them. Initially, I had them finishing around 6th or 7th, I think. But just they emphasized how they're just night terrors about water. That knowing how Shaula and Nabila handled water last season, and knowing that we're still going to have a huge chunk of this race take place within Canada, that I can't help but feel that they're going to be eliminated sooner rather than later because of it. So I put them, I think, anywhere between the 10th to 12th range, but I'm thinking more like 11th or 12th. Like, I I just don't see them handling this if they are terrified of water this much. That's not good. Yeah, they do have a plan for it, though. Sabrina's going to do any watery task. And I'm assuming it's going to be, like, deep water rather than, you know, just being in a paddling pool. Yeah, that's a huge difference. I know with Survivor Pearl Islands, with Sandra and Austin, that they had conversations about how... I think Sandra has gone... practiced swimming laps in a pool or something like that, where she tried to get into the water a little bit. But then once you get into the ocean, it's it's a whole new ball game. Yeah, I, I don't think that they're going to do a recreation of the task that eliminated Chala and Nabila. 
So I doubt that there's going to be a really, really deep water task. There might be one in a swimming pool, but I don't think they're going to like dump them in the middle of the ocean. But really, the only places that don't have a ton of uh, swimming areas in Canada in terms of lakes and rivers and oceans is is the prairies, and that's the least visited location on the race. So, and I don't think that they're going to the prairies much at all this season. Yeah, because there's really not a whole lot left to do there. Like the only for the past two seasons, I've kept saying that the only major prairie location that they've avoided, other than Calgary and uh, with Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, is that the only real major location I can think of is Edmonton. That's because I've personally been there myself and know there's a lot to do. So if they do hit up Edmonton this season. There's really going to be no other reason to go to the prairies after this season. Yeah, I think I'm higher on Nick and Sabrina than you are, but purely because I don't think they're, they're going to give them too many deep water tasks. I think we might see some with snakes because of how many teams are scared of them, and that would be hilarious. But I, I'm not a hundred percent that they're going to bow out because of a water task. I don't think yeah. they'll win, but I don't think they're going to be an early casualty. Yeah, I don't think they'll like they'll that they will quit a water task. I just think that they're going to have a really really tough time with it in terms of. I'm just picturing somebody like Shal and Nabila, and then say Rex and Bob in that surfing task last season where they took a three hour penalty. I don't think we're going to get a Shally horse. A Shally horse. <laughs> But yeah, I want them to last a while, though, because they seem like they're going to be an entertaining team, especially when, because I think Nick is 22 and Sabrina's 32. Yeah, And on top of that, they look a lot like Cormac and Nicole. So they just have that visual Cormac and Nicole uh, physical features, plus they have a similar age gap uh, between them, so... I don't think he's packed any long trousers either. Every single image I've seen of him is him wearing shorts and leggings. I pointed this out for Amazing Race Australia versus New Zealand as well. Because, like, Tyson did the same. John Off of Murray did the same. I seriously don't think he's packed any trousers. Yeah, I think Amanda from this season, she said that leggings are a must-have for her as well. As far as I know, he's the only person in recent memory to actually wear leggings in uh, his uh, promo pick. Yeah, Lululemon's really, really catching on. Really catching on for men, I guess, after... uh... All these years. Well, it does kind of make sense given that he's an athlete, but still. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, he's the only one. Yeah. And they chose to wear red because of their fiery red personality. Or because production told them to and they already assigned too many colors to other teams. I love the question about what? why did you pick your team's color? Because they blatantly didn't. Production did. But there's like three or four different red teams. Because Brian and Cynthia are red as well. And obviously it's Canada. Everyone's going to want to wear red. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it'd be funny if there's going to be this one season down the road where they let teams pick their own colors. And it's like, it's it, that would be the opening task is first come, first serve, pick your colors for the race. And it's just shirts, pants, and underwear just in the various colors. And you've got to r- run a half a mile or, or just some ridiculous distance. Uh at a really quick pace to try and claim a color as if you're playing the board game Risk. So should we move on to team number six? Oh, your favorites. Your, your Gene. Your Gene from Survivor Amazon. Fucking Gino and Jesse. <laughs> Their last name is almost Montana, so it's very fitting that way. Their last name is Montani. I, I looked at their bio, 
and thought, I really don't want to hate you, but this is the worst bio I have ever seen. It is terrible. It is just so riddled with things that I go, that is so feckin' stupid for you to write that, despite the fact I know they're allowed to write the bios afterwards if they want to change anything as well. So they have chosen to keep all this stuff in the bio. With this season, there are seven, seven out of the 12 teams are from Ontario, which is the largest percentage of any of the three seasons. Usually they keep it 50% or lower in terms of Ontario representation, but this season is the first one to be over 50%. And I think out of the six teams we've discussed so far, only Gino and Jesse and Max and Elias are the only two out of the seven that we're talking about on this podcast are from Ontario. Yeah, because Brent and Sean live there, and then there's a couple of more Eastern teams as well, like the wrestlers are um, are Eastern as well. Yeah, so with Gino and Jesse, um, on the Masonry's Canada page, one of the more popular complaints I... By the way, this is a good time to plug my weekly uh, blog that I'll be doing for this season. It's called The, the Funniest Complaints About Amazing Race Canada 3, and it's just copying and pasting complaints from the Facebook page. I don't I don't uh, attribute it to anybody specifically, but uh, I don't I don't you know reveal any names of who said these quotes. But it's just a collection of complaints that we see uh, from week to week on Amazing Race Canada, and then I respond as to why casual fans make these ridiculous complaints, and then uh, and then try to respond as to why they shouldn't think that way. And one of them is that. Fans online, before each season of Amazing Race Canada, their biggest pet peeve is that every province and territory uh, isn't represented. This is, you've seen this too, Michael, right? Like, this is, this gets complained about a lot. Yeah, I mean, for such a nice, easygoing nation, Canada does whine a lot with it when it comes to Amazing Race Canada. If you consider that before episode 3 last season on the Super Kawaki-sized birthday edition, we did talk for half an hour about why casual fans were wrong to complain about international travel. This is not something that is new, sadly. But, uh, yeah, with because in the States, when they do The Amazing Race, there's 50 states. It's impossible to cast 50 teams for The Amazing Race for the American version each season. And because the headquarters for casting is based in L.A., a lot of the teams are going to come from California. I've seen World Race Productions. I took a photo of it deliberately when I was in LA. One day I'll make it there. The, the, the mecca of Amazing Race uh, television. And then, But with Canada, we only have 10 provinces and 3 territories, so with a 12-team season, you could, if you really wanted to, cast a team from each province and territory, then say, condense Nunavut and Northwest Territories to form one team because they're really low population. But... Because headquarters for casting for Amazing Race Canada is based in Ontario, a lot of the teams each season are going to be coming out of Ontario because not only is it headquarters, but it's just as but it's really diverse area as well as BC. So that's why they're they always dominate casting for each season, and it's just really expensive to go into the prairies and try to pick out a team. It's it's just costly. Yeah, and also when your casting from the Prairies revolves around people like Zach and Ashley from uh, Big Brother Canada, it kind of says a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you may not have much to offer, guys. <laughs> but um, with so there is one of the more popular complaints that got a lot of likes on the Facebook page is that there was no teams from Alberta, and then Gino and Jesse because. They want to be the fan favorites, trying to get a jump start on it. That is not going to happen. <laughs> they said, hey guys, 
we were we lived in Alberta for a while, so we're gonna represent you. We're gonna be Team Alberta, and it's not really going over that well. Cause it's like, well, no, you're a, you're really, you know, from Ontario, and b, your heritage lies uh, in Italy too. So if you're really, you can't co- you can't claim every single geographic region on the planet. Before you know it, they're gonna be like, oh, we went on a trip to Cancun for week for the weekend, so we're gonna be t- Team Cancun. Ontario, Alberta, Italy, all rolled into one. Yeah, I tend to agree with the fans, generally, as to who a fan favourite is going to be. If they are a fan favourite, I will be so surprised. Because they seem like they are my biggest chance at being right about a villainous team. I think they're going to be the villains. I don't know they're going to be much of anything, to be honest, except, not in terms of personality, but because they're both alpha males, they're both well-rounded, they don't really have any sort of outstanding weakness. They're physically fit. Uh, Gino has a geography degree, and the only person that jumps to mind in terms of having a geography degree is Chris from The Amazing Race 6, which led to her and John doing very well at navigating and map reading. So with Gino and Jesse, out of all the teams out of the first three seasons of Amazing Race Canada, there really hasn't been a team that has had a more prepared bio to do well on the race. But they come across as being complete dicks. Stuff like their tactics being winning dirty 100%, what are we here for? We're here to win, not everyone remembers the losers. And then the shameless stuff with the claiming Alberta. That doesn't bode well for me in terms of them being a nice team. They're going to stick around for far too long. They're going to annoy the absolute shite out of me. And I will be very happy if they ever get eliminated. And... And it'll, you know what I'm going to do, Michael, is that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk to Jesse and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, and I'll, I'm going to, at some point, once I get a, once I upgrade to a smartphone, uh, me and you are going to exchange, uh, cell phone numbers and I'm going to go to Jesse and pay him 10 bucks through PayPal to text you KK through a text message. Oh, that will legitimately annoy me, especially if he uh, means to say, okay. I mean, I'm not being wrong here, am I? That is the worst pet peeve of any bio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gino's pet peeve is that Jesse texts him KK instead of okay. I have three words written here for them. Get a life. <laughs> I thought you were going to have two letters for them and they were going to be F-U. <laughs> yeah, F-U would have been another good one, but get a life yeah. works. You don't have to hate them so much, Michael. I mean, everybody is entitled to one team of, of irrational hatred each season. For instance, during the Amazing Race 15, there may or may not have been a poker player that I did not like going into the season. A poker player? That's beyond why trash, darling. With this season, this appears to be your team of irrational hatred. It's not irrational, though. Their their motto is losing is not an option. Unless they are the love children of Eric and Jeremy and Mark and Robson. That is not going to happen. You are going to be so <laughs> pissed off when you don't win every single leg. Okay, well, let's... What about... What are your thoughts on the group? Uh, let me... Let me um, I think I got this name right. What are your thoughts on the group, the Swedish House Mafia? I don't really have many thoughts about them. They're all right, I suppose. Have you heard of the Swedish House yes. Mafia? Yes, I have. I am aware of the Swedish House Mafia's... Okay, because I'm not. Because I, I was thinking, well, maybe Michael will know about this group, and maybe that will be the one redeeming quality 
the the common ground that he can find with Gino and Jesse because Swedish House Mafia, a song of theirs is what they picked for their walkout walk on song. Yeah, what would be your walkout song? What would be mine? Yeah. Would it be is it walk on or walk out? Either will do. Walk on <laughs> song, I think, is the term they used in the bios, but. Maybe next week we can have an Amazing Race Canada semantics podcast. Yeah. But my walk-on song, um, surprisingly, is not to be Four Fours Get Down. Which it should um, be. Which, which, which it should be. It's a, it's a, I'm not, I, I do, in the words of Dan Foley, I don't disagree with you. It's a Canadian classic for the ages. But I would feel compelled to go with the Canadian group because... I think only one team from this season chose a Canadian song for their walk-on song. Yeah, it was Brian and Cynthia, I think, who did. Well, older people tend to know more about Canadian music, so that doesn't surprise me. But, especially, like, Canadian folk music, like, what's that crap, like, Anne Murray or Celine Dion or, you know, one of those other singers out there. I thought Celine Dion had claimed uh, Swiss heritage now. Yes, but I would probably choose a song by Prozac. Uh, maybe it sucks to be you, which would be a fitting song if I'm a front runner during the race, or if I go home early. Or I would probably go with one of my favorite West Canadian hip hop groups. So, or so I would go with the song by, say, Swollen Members or Sweatshop Union or Rascals, and that is not Rascals with an S at the end. It is Rascals with a Z. And if I had to choose a Canadian song to be my walk-on mu- music, it would be Robin Sparkles' Let's Go to the Mall. Ooh, could you explain Robin Sparkles? Because I guess there's probably going to be some Canadian listeners who might know knew it, might know who he is. <laughs> North American ones definitely should. It's from How I Met Your Mother. Okay, that Everybody makes sense. Because I did not give a crap about How I Met Your Mother. I wonder if the Bare Naked Ladies will make a song called Three Weeks as a, as a, the next part to their song One Week. And it'll be named three weeks just to reflect the filming schedule for Amazing Race Canada. It's That's been, a walk-on song that people can use. It's been one week since you got to see Cheating Lovers and Cousins at Mary. Obviously the team that they most associate with is Jet and Dave because they want to be fan favourites. Not going to happen. Wannabes! Yep. And um, they, with the money they want to buy a cottage, toys like ATVs and motorbikes and take their family on holiday. Hopefully it's their last holiday. <laughs> I'm the one who has an irrational hatred over them, and yet you you basically kill them off. Uh, and Gino apparently has a hard or rough exterior in a sweet, colourful interior. Way too much information. Jesse is full of flavour and liked by everyone. I mean, they're even they're even uh, like to go back to the regional claiming random places around the planet. Uh, they, their colors, it's not just blue, it's Azuri blue, because that's the Italy soccer colors. And I think, what was it, Gina or Jesse that, I think I think it was Jesse that had the high school football, American football injury that prevented him from pursuing uh, his athletic dream. So much, it's, it's crazy that him and Nick have that parallel where they're both Italian-Canadian, they both suffered some sort of strange injury in their late teens or early 20s that prevented them from being a professional athlete, and then they get to both be cast for the same season of Amazing Race Canada. Well, I would say that Nick is a lot more successful because Nick actually did play for three Italian clubs. Mm -hmm. He has a Wikipedia page. Which means he's successful. And Jesse's favourite travel destination is, of course, probably my least favourite place on the planet. I have mentioned it many times, Las Vegas. And yet it's going to be probably the first place I visit once I get my passport this year. 
I need to I need to be there to judge though. Like you went there before you're allowed to gamble, Michael. That's a if you can't gamble in Las Vegas, that's like that would be like going to Quebec and having and just being terrified of poutine. I would say if you want to go somewhere tacky that is a little bit of a shithole, but at least has some redeeming features, go to Niagara Falls. It's uh, R- Rainbow Falls. Rainbow Falls. It was Rainbow Falls when I was there. They, like, turn the falls different colours at night. It's just what they do anyway. But Niagara Falls is actually awesome. If you're going to go somewhere in America, go to LA, because that's cool. At least has redeeming features, like, you know, theme parks. And good weather all year round. Las Vegas is just hot and awful. But I like the desert. I live in the desert, Michael. Yeah, but Vegas, there is literally nothing for, like, 200 miles in any direction. That's the beauty of it. Well, except that that underground, super secret uh, nuclear facility. Yeah, there there is no redeeming feature of Vegas, having been there. All you have to do is just find the toxic waste, roll around in it, Michael, and you've got superpowers. Superpowers would interest me. And Gino falls asleep in films, which is a legitimate peeve given their prices. Especially in England, you said, right? It's like the equivalent to 20 Canadian dollars to see a film? Yeah, it's about 15 to 17 dollars. It's a ridiculous amount of money. So you're saying that Gina was just... It's like its like Venezuela with having oil at point zero 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 three cents a litre, where people are just swimming in oil, and then Gino has access to cheap movies, and he's just taunting you by not really watching them. He's like, yeah, who cares? I can just you know pay five bucks, and I can just sleep in them the whole time. Basically, Michael wants to watch uh, popular movies for a cheap price, and Gino's laughing at him. <laughs> and that's just rude. You've had to put up with the expensive movies their whole life, and Gino, <laughs> Gino just sleeps during them. And probably my favorite bit of their bio is Gino's fear, the worst fear that anyone ever has, the one that always annoys me every time it appears in a bio. Gino's biggest fear is failure. Which, uh, which ironically enough, in your eyes, fails as an appropriate fear. Oh yeah, it's a complete failure. It's a complete failure of a choice. If I was on a Masonry's Canada... I would admit that besides thunderstorms being my fear, biggest fear, it is in a tie with sock puppets and wooden popsicle sticks. <laughs> Three, yeah. Three-way tie. If you did get on a major race, Canada, you would have to just put loads of Yak and Cass references in there, like being afraid of popsicle sticks or failure just to wind me up. You know that one day those popsicle sticks are just going to rise up and take over the world. And Shaw and Nabila are going to be the first casualties, and they and they're and as as they're taken down by these pops, popsicle sticks, Shaw's last words are going to be, "I told you so, guys. There's a reason why I fear wooden popsicle sticks." Yes, her last words will be, "I'm so sorry." <laughs> Shawley horse. Dare I ask where you think that Gino and Jesse are going to place? First, I think on this podcast. We have discussed the most likely final three combination for this season. I think it'll be Gino and Jesse, uh, Max and Elias, Malias. I'll, I'll refer to them by their celebrity name. As they, they burn that. And uh, Hamilton and Michaela. I think that's going to be our top three for this season of Amazing Race Canada. And they will be on the podium. Oh, I, I hope you're wrong about them. I hope they crash and burn. And do you think that if Gino and Jesse were to win, that much like last year when Mickey and Pete uh, took off their pants at the finish line of celebration, 
that Gino and Jesse are going to follow through with their promise by swallowing Tangerine's hole. They're going to be the sort to probably take their shirts off as well, which is also something that annoys me. Well, Gino just wants to show off his tattoos. Yeah, when they're just pandering for camera time. Ugh. Although we probably know another another uh, hole where t- where uh, Gino and Jesse could probably shove those uh, chan- tangerines, though, in your opinion. Well, in their mouths would work for me, because they'd shut them the fuck up, but... <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hate on them, because they're going to last forever. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be, like, the, t- the only two people on the entire internet... Who will who will just mock Gino and Jesse week after week, and no one's gonna figure out exactly why we have this hatred for them on a weekly basis until they listen to this preview. Until they listen to this preview, yes. But yeah, I really could do with them going very early on, but I don't think they will. Do you think they'll be top three? I think they'll be probably. I think they might go out in about Alain and Andre fifth, sort of sixth place. I'd like to see them do a Pierre and Michelle's and uh, completely crash and burn, but not gonna happen. Yeah, I I hope that they cock up, especially if it's a geography related fail, so that I can mock them mercilessly. If it's like geocaching or something like that, or or it's one of those rounds where you can only use the provide provided maps on a self drive leg. Yeah, I hope that they have a massive flaw, like they can't drive a stick shift. Oh, I should point. Out, I would like to add one more thing: is that a lot of these teams said that their preparation was to uh, do memorization tactics to improve their memory because in Amazing Race Canada, more than any Amazing Race franchise out there, we have a ton of memory tasks, and people are finally catching on after two seasons that this tradition may not go away, but it would be hilarious if producers this season did not have a single memory task, even in the final leg, just... Just erase all memory tasks, and then teams are going to realize that they went about their preparation the wrong way. I would love it if there is a completely trolley um, memory challenge, one that nobody is expecting. What shoes were the were the pit stop greeters wearing? Yeah, something like shoes or sort of currencies is always a good one, but there's only going to be four. What is the fifth word that John Montgomery said to you at the pit stop each round? Exactly. Be like a Mole UK style clue. Yeah. Which you, if, <laughs> yeah, if you've ever seen, you'll know what I'm referring to there. Um, but it would be, it'd be funny if they did like a Mole-like quiz at the end where they said, on this leg, um, Gina, I, which, which seat was I sitting at the table, starting with Gina and Jesse's right? <laughs> what, what license plate did uh, the... Did you drive on this leg? <laughs> the team with the lowest score will get executed on live television. So, that is our first six teams. Yeah. And what are six teams they are. So thank you very much for listening. You can join us next Sunday to talk about the remaining six teams and also the season's twists before we recap the premiere on Friday, July the 10th. If you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, please subscribe to iTunes and leave us a review, and if you want to see what we're rambling about this week, our Twitters are in the podcast description too. And finally, if you've not heard our interview that we did with Amazing Race 26's Small Town Sweethearts, Mac and Michelle, that is also available on the iTunes feed. Thank you again. Hashtag T5O, hashtag Ninja Ninja, hashtag SuperKuwaki, hashtag Yancast. Peace. Peace out. A-Town.
Okay, Lola John. Asha, Asha. 